The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. Excuse me, as we do get into the Word, I have a tremendous amount of uh, excitement uh, that God's doing great things. I, I love the Christmas season. In fact, I, I walked in here and, and I almost uh, uh, just completely fell over because I thought, the tree's not plugged in. <laughs> oh my God. We, so, you know, who wants, we got a countdown? You know, like, like a Rockefeller Center style countdown, you know? There you go. There you, here it is. Is that it? Hey, there you go. Yeah, see, wasn't that worth it? Uh, I, I love this season. I love the season of the lights and the, the activities, the things that we pull out and dust off and, and uh, uh, get a chance to celebrate, I think really are important and valuable. Uh, as far as, as uh, the decorations and things are concerned, I mean, that's, that's a really shallow element of things. The reality is everything that that we stand upon as believers is celebrated in, in this season. And I've heard every, you know, uh, uh, argument one way or the other about when Jesus was actually born, things like that. The reality is anything that causes us to pause and stop and turn our eyes toward the fulfillment of God's promise is going to be effective and powerful. It doesn't matter if it's in December or if it's in March or if it's in, in April or June, just doesn't matter. The reality is God fulfilled his promise and it is the most documented event in history. And that's a really powerful thing to consider. As we get into the Word, I want to get into the Word with that in mind. Uh, I want to give you a few things that we're going to find. I want to just tell you something. I mean, you're, you're probably aware that when we gather together, we get into the Word, <clears throat> and that we're trusting and believing God to do great things in, in our hearts and in our minds. I've, I've, I've pastored for years now. It's, it's been the, the majority of my life. And there's different mentalities that you can run into when you're getting into the Word together. I remember uh, delivering a message, and you know, every time we come together, we're trusting that God's leading us all in, in a direction intentionally. That it's never just kind of checking off a box and you know, scratching off, well, there's another Sunday in the bag. you know. But you're trusting God's leading us and guiding us as a congregation into things. I remember preaching a message. It was very... Excited to bring that word and brought that word. And, and after the service, a, a woman uh, came and spoke to me. She's a very sweet woman, you know. And, and honestly, I, I think everything that she said was intended to be this, this really positive statement. And, but I just thought, well, that's so funny, the way you said that, you know. And she came up and she just said, uh, that was a great message, which I thought, okay, we're on the right track so far, you know. She said, when you started talking about that, I just thought, oh, here we go again, you know. But then God showed me something that I'd never seen before, and I was like, okay, this is good. And it, it, it told me something. I mean, one, that, that God touched this woman's heart, which is great. I mean, that's really the point, right? But the other thing was, that was revealed was that her, her nature was, unless I see something new, I'm not interested. And I'm thinking, that's, if that mentality grips our hearts, we're really in trouble because the, the word is meant to be celebrated in repetition and in and, and, uh, righteous and holy tradition. In fact, there are things that God has established that you'll see, you know, referred to as the feasts of Israel and things like that. These are annual celebrations that are meant to be repeated for the purpose of revealing truth to the next generation. You know, God said, do this and do this so that your children will ask about it. You know, so they say, hey, dad, why do we do this? You can say, well, son or well, daughter, this is why we do it. And, and it, it, it ends up creating a wonderful and powerful way to continue and pass down the things of God. Well, when we become so focused on revelation that we begin to reject repetition, we open the door to lose the next generation. And I think it's important for us as we get into the Word to always say, you know, every Christmas season comes around and we talk about these things, 
I don't want this to be a season in which that just becomes another Christmas in the bag for me. But I'm going to trust and believe that what we celebrate and the areas of Scripture that we focus on are powerful and intentionally purposeful for today. So as we get into the Word this morning, there's a couple of elements that have a bit of a Christmas flair to them. But I want us to all engage with this in mind, that God's got a Word for me today in this season. I want to get into the Word here. I want to offer a passage of Scripture, and if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. I want to look at something out of the, uh, the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can just go to Luke and you can arrive in uh, about chapter, uh, go to Luke chapter 2. As you turn there, I want to give you a few things we're going to find in the Scripture. Uh, there's a few things that we're going to find as we go through the Word today and as we navigate through the Word, we're going to be trusting and believing God to reveal a wonderful and powerful truths to us for the purpose of having our minds renewed and our hearts uplifted and refreshed. Uh, here's a few things that we're going to find as we go through the Word. Now, some of these are meant to be a little enticing in the way that they're worded, uh, but uh, you, when we get there, hopefully, it'll all make sense. So one thing we're going to find is, is the Bible's uh, survival guide. The Bible's survival guide. Um, I don't know if we frequent the same websites or things like that, but it's not uncommon for me to get, you know, somebody send me an email that says, you know, you can get so many meals that will last you 25 years and get ready to dig your hole in the ground and, and be able to disappear. And, and you know, so it, apparently, you know, there's this desire to survive that is now being marketed and, and you know, people are are uh, paying attention to it. But the Bible gives a, a bit of a, a tip for survival, so to speak. The word guide is a bit much. It's really not a survival guide. It's just more of God's key to survival. And we're going to find out what that is when we get into Scripture. Another thing we're going to find is what's needed for a life of faith. What's needed in order to live a life of faith. And I mean, if you're like me, you've, you've heard more than your fair share of messages on the importance and value of faith, and faith is extremely important and valuable, and there's good reason for those messages. But we hear of, of that, and we need to find out what's needed in order for that life of faith to, to exist and function and be celebrated uh, in our lives. And then a third thing we're going to find is, is what God is filling us with around this season, and I'm just going to call it, you know, Christmas season, uh, what God's filling us with and why. But you need to understand that though Christmas is a holiday and a season and things like that, this is really just a reality for everyday existence for the Christian. That we do have a king, that he was sent, and that he fulfilled his purpose and his call, and he is forever ruling and reigning and bringing justice and everything that is the kingdom of God into our life on our behalf. So what God is, is filling us with at Christmas. And so as we get into the word here, I asked you to, to go to the Gospel of Luke. So this is a, a little bit of a, a Christmas passage, so to speak, in that it's in reference to the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Now, if you're in Luke chapter 2 there, I want you to go down and see a couple of things uh, in the scripture, maybe beginning around verse 8. So around verse 8, you, you see that there are in the region, there were shepherds. They're out in the fields. They're keeping their flocks. They're watching over the sheep by night. And it says this when you get to verse 9. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terribly frightened. <laughs> I have to just stop right there and, and just think, that's interesting to me, you know. The idea that, that I could come into this, this wonderful heavenly presence and the result not be, you know, warm and fuzzy, you know, that, that really is an interesting concept because a lot of us are looking for something on the warm and fuzzy side, you know. I mean, I've, I've heard people before make comments about church services, and I, I, I listen to them, and most of the time they're, 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 it's very complimentary, and you know what they're trying to communicate, but at the same time you think, that's a dangerous game there, buddy. You know, like they'll come in and they'll say, wow, I really loved the service. It was very anointed. And I would just think, well, that's kind of you, and I understand that you're, you're looking to pay a compliment, but do you decide that? Is, or do you decide whether it's anointed or not? I mean, 
So what that tells me is something happened to that person. They got a feeling or a sensation that they're interpreting as something that was heavenly or godly and that was a positive thing or a good thing. I think this is really funny. I mean, I think it's funny to think that, hey, this, this heavenly manifestation and all of a sudden, you know, uh, the, the glory of the Lord shone all around them and the result wasn't they were like, wow, this is a really anointed service, but the result was they were scared out of their minds. And I have to ask myself, you know, if, if all of the things that we request in our songs and all the things that we desire in our prayers were to come to pass, would we get the result we're anticipating? You know, you know Father, let your spirit fall. And, and you know, uh, these declarations and desires to be in the presence of God, would we get the result that we are, are anticipating or would it be an experience that might be a bit of a surprise? Well, in this case, I just think that's funny. I mean, it's just funny to me that all of these heavenly things would manifest and the result would be these guys are terrified. And then I love the response. The response is really fantastic because it's very revealing. It goes on to say, The angel spoke to them and said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all people. Today in the city of David, there is born to you a Savior who is the Christ, the Messiah. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And when these words were spoken, suddenly there appeared uh, to be an, a multitude of angels, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising, singing, and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, Peace among men with whom God is pleased. I mean, I, I love everything that's going on here. I love the idea that, that Jesus being wrapped in those swaddling clothes and lying in a manger is meant to be a sign. When we pull those things out, you know, and you go up in the attic and you pull your boxes down and then here comes, you know, that 25-pound baby laying in that, you know, that trough and you're... you're, you're you, you, you do all of these things, and the reality is we, we can do them out of tradition and, and for the sake of decoration, but, but you've got to understand this is the sign. I mean, everything that we, we believe in and everything that we trust in and everything that we hope in was affirmed and confirmed 25 or, 20, or 2,000 excuse me, years ago, and, and this is a sign to us. It's a sign that the rest of the scripture is true as well. The stuff that was spoken before, the stuff that's been prophesied yet to come, this is a sign. And we get so caught up sometimes in, in the pursuits of, of things that are miraculous and things like that, that we can forget about the, the signs and the wonders. We desire to, to have that sense of wonder and, and and those things in our life, but I think it's important to take a look back at the signs. I mean, really and truly, I've made a number of, of trips in my life, uh, gotten in my car and, and, you know, packed up and left, and, and like most people, hours later than planned and anticipated, and, and you get going, and, and you, you're getting on the road, and the only thing that has helped me to get where I'm going has been being able to see the signs along the way. When we consider the signs that God's given us, we need to, to make note of them. They, they need to be points of interest that are helping to lead us and guide us in the direction that we're meant to go. And in this case, Jesus, that, that baby born in, in Bethlehem and in the manger, wrapped in the clothes, like it's spoken, is a sign. And this will be a sign to you. And there's a couple of things that are revealed here, and then we're going to, to get into the actual point of the message, and it's the, what that sign is revealing. I mean, if I'm driving and I'm going somewhere and I see the signs that are directing me on the, the way that I'm going to go, the, there's ultimately a, a result. The result is you arrive at your destination. So here's Jesus. Jesus himself is the sign, but, but what is the destination? I mean, what is it that God's doing? Well, well, this heavenly encounter reveals that. I mean, it talks about the sign, you know, says, hey, this is what God's doing, and this will be the sign to you. This will be the evidence. You'll go to Bethlehem, you'll find the Savior born, and this is what it's going to look like. So rather than, than simply get fixated on the sign, where's the sign taking us? 
Well, in this case, you, you'll see this relief from all fear and anxiety. I mean, the, the don't be afraid. And then here's why. I'm bringing you good news. Well, I mean, that's what we refer to the, the, the scripture as the gospel, right? You have the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke and the gospel of John. You have the gospels, gospel meaning good news. But good news about what? And in this case, you have that revealed. I bring you good news of a great joy. A great joy that will be for all people. It goes on to say, and this will be a sign. So one of the things we know God's doing is bringing great joy. I mean, this is a big deal to me when I read this. It's really kind of the point. Uh, Jesus even talks about this as the point. In fact, when he prays for us in John chapter 17, he asks God to to give us something really powerful and, and really easily overlooked if we don't stop and take notice. He asks God when he's praying for you, by the way, he says, Father, give them my joy so that their joy might be made full. Do you realize Jesus' desire for you was that your joy be made full? That we don't just kind of get by and look back and think, well, life was okay. I mean, we 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 had a good run, you know. But that, that there's a rejoicing imparted to each one of us that results in our joy being described as full. I mean, it might seem like a waste of time, but think about the word full for a second. What does it mean to you? If something is full, what does that imply? That it can't contain any more. I mean, that there's no vacancy, there's no void, there's no measure lacking. It is absolutely at full capacity. And I know it's unfair to use the word in the definition, but I think it, I think it communicates, I think it translates. So you see, one of the things God's doing, one of the things that Jesus is the sign of is that he's bringing joy. And I mean, this is really exciting to me when I read through the, 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 the gospel and the nativity scene. I'm seeing, wow, this is really great and this is really important. And then I can also see in my life and in the world around me, this is really necessary. When you look at the amount of, of anxiety and depression that exists, I can see why it would be so important and so necessary that joy be introduced into the lives of people. And then you see another thing here, and I'm, I want to make a note of that. You know, I mean, you hear that this, I'm bringing you good news. There's going to be great joy, and that joy is for all people. Here's the sign for you. You're going to find this baby. You're going to find him in Bethlehem, and, and that's going to be the sign. And then you see another thing that, that God is doing. When suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising and saying, glory to God in the highest. And then catch this line, and peace on earth among men with whom God is pleased. There's another thing that's happening here in this season, in this time. One, this impartation of great joy, and then two, this declaration or establishment of peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture. It's not in my notes, but it it should be, and it'd be great to have it in your notes uh, as well. Uh, The book of Romans Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's how it reads. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read verse 2 as well. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, And we celebrate in hope, hope of the glory of God. Have you ever considered that Jesus brought peace between you and God the Father? Is it something that that is even in your, your realm of thought? That you and God used to be enemies and Jesus has brought about this peace. Not peace in compromise or treaty, but peace in bringing you to a place of complete and total surrender. I didn't negotiate some kind of treaty with God. Hey, you know what? I'll be good on Tuesdays and Thursdays 
but, you know, the weekend is coming, so give me Friday and Saturday, and then Monday will be like a coin toss. How's that? That work for you? It doesn't work that way. Complete and total surrender, and this complete and total surrender to Jesus opened up the door for me now to have peace with God. So when I see that Jesus is the sign, when I look at the nativity, and when I think about the the celebration of the coming of our king, I realize this is a sign, and it's a sign of two wonderful and powerful things based on what we read out of Luke, that joy in fullness is coming into my life, and that peace in full measure coming into into my life. Freedom from compromise, freedom from depression, and full release into all that is joy in the Holy Spirit and the peace that is having Jesus as a righteous king. Uh, When we we said we were going to get into the word, uh, we mentioned the Bible gives a little bit of a survival tip, right? I want to give you that here as we get into the scripture. Uh, If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to uh, Psalm uh, 33. I want to read verses 18 through 22. So you're going to the Psalms, you're going to Psalm 33, we want to begin in verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I want to stop there. I mean, there's your point of survival, right? I mean, this is a group of people who is looking to avoid death and to stay alive in the middle of famine. It goes on to say, our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. And then it goes on to end with this. God, let your loving kindness be upon us according to as we have hoped in you. I see this need for survival. I mean, the whole point of this is, is escaping that, that desperation and that ultimate loss that is death and escaping the, the, the uh, difficulties and the hardships of famine and lack. And in the end, this is all coming as a manifestation of God's loving kindness, but based on the scripture, that loving kindness is unlocked and accessed by hope. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according to as we have hoped in you. I want to check my measure of hope. I want to be aware of the actual hope that exists in my life for the purpose of looking to and leaning on God's loving kindness in order to bring about that deliverance during times of difficulty, frustration, disappointment. I want to talk about hope this morning because I believe that hope is something that is very well established in the season that is the Christmas season. I want to give you a passage of scripture, one to identify the importance of hope and why hope is is so necessary for us to be aware of and to monitor. I'll give it to you out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 12. It says that when hope is withheld, the heart becomes sick. When you find yourself in a place where hope is missing, heartache and heart sickness will be the result. That passage of scripture goes on to say that the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I mean, if somebody were just offering me those two choices, hey, would you like heart sickness or would you like tree of life? I don't have any problem making that decision. Like, it's not even like, hmm, can I see him first? You know, I mean, I know exactly which one I want. I'll take Tree of Life every time. Thank you. But hope is really the difference in this situation between heart sickness and in that resulting uh, celebration of prosperity and advancement, which is really what life is. I mean, I'm alive right now. And I am moving in a forward direction in all things. Things are not idle. Things are active. So I have to ask myself at any given point in my life, is there a measure of heart sickness in this situation? Or is there an area of my life where there's this creeping depression or this weight? Do I find myself struggling, whether it's, you know, sleeping at night or wrestling with anxious thoughts? Is there any area of my life that would be described as heart sickness? And if I find that area, how can I inject hope? 
into that area. I've dealt with things like this. I mean, I've had a number of hurts and wounds and rejections and people do things that I just thought, how can they even be capable of doing that, you know? I've found myself having conversations with people who aren't even in the same room as me, you know? And you're, you're talking as if they already are reciting what you would say to them if they were there. And all, all of these things are revealing that there's been an, an impact on the heart that has made it sick. I mean, by definition, those conversations with people aren't there is a little bit kooky, right? But that heart sickness that was the result of whatever activity is is there is really revealing the need for hope in that situation or that circumstance. And what we need to understand is that Christmas is the greatest manifestation of hope ever offered to men. Go and see there's a sign a sign. When you see it, it'll be confirmation that joy and peace have arrived. Everything that you might need in your life to survive, everything that you would need in your life to endure, everything that you would need in your life to overcome, all confirmed by that little infant child lying in the straw. Peace and joy. I mean, hope has an effect on the heart. When we can stand on hope, when we can look at those signs and understand that, that what God has promised has come to pass, it opens up the door for a faith-filled life. I mean, I used kind of a silly example of getting in the car and making a road trip, but it, it, it actually works. I mean, it's how I know I'm even on the right path. There have been times where I've seen, you know, if you're making a trip and driving across the country and you'll see a sign that X amount of miles, well, you know, hey, I'm on the right road. I'm not lost. It's a great reminder. It also lets you know how long you're going to have to hold it before you get to a bathroom or, or you know, or, or if you're going to make it, if you have enough fuel. I mean, all of those signs are important for leading you in that direction. And what they ultimately produce when you put your eyes on that sign is hope. Hope that you're going to get there. And when this is given as a sign that Jesus would lie in the manger as a newborn baby, that he would be brought in, into this world in Bethlehem and all of the ways that have been prophesied in the past, it's all a sign that inspires hope. And hope positions us to live a life of faith. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to look at verse 1. And then I want to look at verse 6, the result of of verse 1 there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, it's not being thrown out there to start a debate about faith or hope or, or anything like that, but I just want to offer this to you as a thought. And I also don't mind telling you this is how I see it. But if faith is the substance of things hoped for, can you have faith without hope? I want to give you the definition of the word substance. Substance is real physical matter, which a person or thing consists of. It is tangible and solid in presence. I mean, evidence, the available body of facts or information indicating whether something is true or valid or exists. Those are just definitions. So when we look at faith here, faith is the substance. It is the physical matter uh, that is tangible or solid. It's the substance of things hoped for. If I don't have anything hoped for, can I have any faith? If I don't have anything hoped for, can I even have any tangible action or activity or declaration that would be faith, that evidence, that substance? I'm just offering this as an idea that hope is absolutely foundational, and that's a real reason why hope is constantly under attack in my life and in your life. A desire to, to, to crush hope and to bring about hopelessness is a desire to set a people on the path of living a, a faithless life. But when we can have things hoped for, the choices, the decisions, the words that follow, all that exists in who we are becomes that tangible substance that is defined as faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then here's why, you know, faith is really important to have in our life. And, and we, we mentioned uh, earlier that we need 
uh, to have these things for faith to exist, and here's why it's a need in the first place. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It goes on to say the one that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If faith is a necessity in, in being pleasing to God, living lives that are pleasing to God, and don't think that, that God sits and grades everyone, that's not what this means. This just means this is absolutely uh, necessary for the believer to function and exist as a believer. You can't do it without faith. Because every aspect of my faith, or every aspect of my Christianity, I should say, is founded upon faith in Jesus Christ. Just like we read earlier out of the book of Romans in chapter 5, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So we can see the importance of, of this hope, that having something that we can hope in, when those shepherds laid eyes on that child, it confirmed they weren't crazy. It did. I mean, you know, there for a little bit, they're like, did you see that? Or was it just me? Uh, did you see, like, you know, the sky filled with, with, with angels singing? Or, or did I just kind of have, like, this little mini-stroke here, and do I need to go to the doctor? And they're all talking to each other, and then they, they go, and when they see what those uh, angelic beings tell them would be a sign for them, they know for the first time, hot dog, I'm not crazy. We're not nuts. We didn't have one too many at the pub before we went out to watch the sheep. But there's the sign. And when you see the sign, all of the sudden there is an inspiration that rises, and that inspiration by definition is hope. Hope that then can, can be leaned on to, with choices and decisions and actions and activities that are the resulting evidence or that resulting substance that by definition is faith, which equips us to be pleasing to God or carry out the will of God in our lives. So uh, here's a little test that I apply to my life about as it concerns hope. I mean, how to know if you have hope. We all would agree based on where we've come so far in the word that we need hope. We get excited that, that Christmas is, is about hope, and, and here we are now knowing that hope is important and that hope is a priority, that, that it's really difficult to function and operate as a believer, if not impossible, without hope in the first place. How can I test my life to see if I have hope? I mean, in any situation, in any circumstance, no matter what it is, I can apply a little bit of a hope test. I want to give it to you out of the scripture here, and I hope that it communicates and translates well. Uh, Psalm 42, I want to look at verse 5. You'll find this same statement made throughout the Psalms. You'll find it again in Psalm 42 and verse 11. You'll find it in Psalm 43 and verse 5. This statement rings true, and I want to offer it to you as it concerns testing yourself for hope. Psalm 42, verse 5, it, it reads like this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, and again praise him for the help found in his presence. I want to read it again, then I want to comment on it. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, and again, praise him for the help found in his presence. I mean, when I'm giving myself a little bit of a hope test, what I'm asking is, is there part of me that is in despair? Uh, despair is not really a, a word that I use in my day-to-day -day language. It, it would mean a, a, a sense of desperation. I like the other word that's used in the second sentence, disturbed. Is there any part of me that's disturbed? Now, this is a word that has kind of a broad-reaching definition. You know, I mean, if we were to describe someone as being disturbed, it would basically mean that, that something was dark or not right in that person. But disturbed can also have a more subtle definition. I mean, it, you could literally describe something as being disturbed if it was moved. Like right now, I'm I'm disturbing this table just by shaking it and wobbling it. 
And I have to ask myself, am I being disturbed in this situation? Meaning, does this situation cause me to want to, to panic or compromise or maybe do that one thing that seems way different than how I would normally do it? Am I being disturbed by this? And if I'm being disturbed by this, if I'm wanting to behave a different way, if that means I'm wanting to look when I know normally I shouldn't look, I'm wanting to, to speak when I know I should normally hold my tongue, am I wanting to be different than I would normally function as a believer? That means I'm being disturbed in this situation and I need to find my point of hope. My point of hope. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that moves us toward that point of hope. Psalm 31, 24. It says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who hope in the Lord. Well, sometimes I like to read things forwards and backwards, and, and I want to read this one backwards. I mean, all of you who take hope in the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. The idea that I can let my heart be encouraged reveals to me that this is a, a, a point of uh, choice, decision. It can be allowed, it can be rejected. And then the question is, what is that point of courage? What's being allowed or what's being rejected? I'll give you another passage of scripture from the psalmist, Psalm 39, verse 7. Now, O Lord... For what do I wait? My hope is in you. In any situation, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm dealing with, or no matter what I'm dealing in, I'm not waiting for a check to show up in the mail. I'm not waiting for a circumstance to necessarily turn around. I'm waiting for God to show up and deliver. How he does that may be the check in the mail, may be the circumstance turning around, but the reality is for the believer, we are waiting on or we are hoping for God. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here out of Matthew, and I want to offer it uh, to you as a bit of a Christmas passage. Are you feeling jolly? Matthew chapter 12, verse 21. Speaking of Jesus, speaking of everything that we celebrate and, and you know, the birth of our Messiah, that, that sign that laid in the manger, that the, the baby born of the virgin in Bethlehem, Matthew 12, 21, it, it says, and his name, <clears throat> and in his name, excuse me, the Gentiles will hope. In his name, all of those who are lost, in his name, all of those who are in desperate need of being uh, uh, saved and regenerated, renewed, in his name, they will hope. So there's two things about this passage of scripture that I apply to the Christmas season and I want to apply to my life. One, I want to realize that everything about this season is to bring me something to hope in. And in this case, someone to hope in. And then I think it's important to emphasize the name. You know, when, when Mary received the visitation announcing that she would carry the Messiah and that she would, would bring into this world the hope of all of the nations, I'm so glad they didn't say, and his name will be called Chuck. <laughs> right? But there's emphasis on this name Yeshua, or, or we would say Joshua in English, or we've now translated it to Jesus for, for our purposes here. <clears throat> You've got to consider the power of that name. That name, Yeshua, means the deliverance of God, that God saves. That's the hope for all of those who are in need. And when these shepherds see this sign that confirms that they hadn't lost their mind, that they did see heaven open up and that they did hear that peace had come to earth and that the fullness of joy was now available, they were looking on the one who would bring it to pass. They were looking at the salvation of our God, Yeshua. And all of the world now looks upon him as a sign and places their hope in him. I want to, to conclude here in, in speaking about hope and just talking about how hope stirs in our life and how it comes into existence. 
Sometimes we know we need things and we desire things in our lives and we don't realize the process that God has ordained for those things to come into existence. Oftentimes, we are a big fan of the reward, but not a big fan of the process. And I can tell you that has applied to most everything in my life. I love having a healthy marriage, but it doesn't come easy. It requires me to not be selfish, and I don't like that. You can understand what I'm saying with that. Uh, The book of Romans, chapter 5. I want to look again, beginning in verse 1. When we quoted verse 1 earlier, but I want to continue uh, through the first five verses here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Now verse 3, and not only this, but we also celebrate in, in problems. Your, your Bible probably says tribulations. I just don't use that word in my day-to-day language. We celebrate in our problems, knowing that problems bring about a perseverance or overcoming. And overcoming brings about proven character. And that proven character then brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God's been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. It's amazing to me that this crescendo ends on this hope, that it's hope that won't disappoint. You can always lean upon and, and, and stand upon hope because hope is fixated on a promise. The same way that those shepherds could only hope when they laid eyes on that sign, they saw that sign that God had, had given to them, they know that the things that God has spoken will come to pass. You can always trust and always lean on hope. Hope does not disappoint. I have been disappointed so many times in my life. But the word promises that hope never disappoints. What that reveals to me is that in any area of my life where I've suffered disappointment, I wasn't leaning on that which could be hoped for. I wasn't pouring the emotion or the thought or the time or the energy into anything that could be defined as hopeful. But rather, I found myself in those situations wishing. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, but I want to comment on it because I think it's important to know the difference between the two. To wish, by definition, means to desire or to want. Lots of stuff that I've wished for in my life and been disappointed. I wish I'd win the lotto. Hadn't happened. You know, and that's just kind of a goofy, carnal example, but you understand what I'm saying. Lots of wishing, to desire or want. But then hope, by definition, to desire with anticipation or expectation. The second definition is to trust. To desire with anticipation or expectation or trust. That means everything that we hope in has a promise connected to it. I mean, I'm not simply wishing for joy and wishing for peace. That would put me in the position where I'm just kind of sitting around rolling the dice that all the circumstances and all the situations will come into perfect alignment and the result will be peace and joy, but rather I'm hoping for it. I understand that God sent my king to come into this world and put his foot on the serpent's head, crushing Satan, defeating him forever, to bring into my life the promise of joy and peace. I don't have to wish for it. I can hope in it. When we see this, we can see that problems give us this opportunity. That problems give us an opportunity to overcome. That overcoming give us an opportunity to walk in proven character. And that proven character gives us an opportunity to hope. And that that hope will never disappoint. I want to close with this passage of scripture here. And I mentioned before we're going to find out with what God fills us with in the Christmas season. And why. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that speaks about hope and its importance. Romans chapter 15, I want to look at verse 13. Romans 15 verse 13, it opens up with this, now may the God of hope, I like to pause there and just emphasize that we're speaking about God's identity here, that he is the God of hope, that there's no hope outside of him. 
that you could wish for all kinds of things, but that when it comes to functioning in hope, we need to engage with and we need to connect, we need to partner with, yoke to, surrender to, submit to, whatever way you want to describe it, it needs to be with God. Just like the psalmist wrote, my hope is in you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this passage of Scripture. I love it because it's so profound and it's, it's so complex. It's so uh, uh, revealing. Now, if I were writing this without any understanding, I would write it something like this. I would just say, now may the God of hope fill you with all hope so that you may abound in hope. I mean, if you needed water, I would give you water. But according to this, if you needed water, God would give you hydrogen and oxygen. He would. So in this case, we see, may the God of hope, in order to fill you with all hope, He's going to give you two things. And those two things in this scripture, peace and joy. Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and with peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The coming of our King Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that He would fill you with peace, peace on earth, and that He would fill you with joy. That joy in abundance that is only described as full, complete, or lacking. Nothing. Absolutely. 100%. Full. Peace and joy. And the result of this joy and the result of this peace produces the life of the believer that is described as abounding in hope. Abounding, meaning abundance. It's not lacking, it's not sparse, but rather it's abundant in measure. I want to ask you to stand with me and I want to pray for something this morning. For you and for me together. As it concerns a season in which we sing songs of peace and sing songs of joy, as we decorate with those words, and as we uh, uh, ordain, uh, or, or excuse me, as we... Uh, 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 hang the ornaments all, all across our, our homes and our, our places of uh, fellowship. I want us to consider the reason for bringing joy and peace into our lives. Not just that God would say, you know what, you've had a tough time, so let me give you a little relief. Have some joy and have some peace. Like he's, you know, a doctor that's prescribing you a little Ritalin just to get through, you know. But that he's bringing the solution, and that solution is hope. I'm going to fill you with peace, and I'm going to fill you with joy, so that your life will abound in hope. So that when you face difficulty and trial, you're not shaken by anxiety or fear. You're not moved or disturbed, as we read earlier, to the point of being altered and shoved into a corrupt thinking that would lead to compromise. But that you can stand firm. So that you can stand upon hope. And then your choices and your decisions being founded upon hope can be that substance, they can be that evidence that is defined as faith that's very pleasing to God. That when the world says turn left or else and God says turn right, you can turn right. Because you're not afraid. Because the fear and the anxiety is not gripping or controlling your thoughts or your decisions or your choices, but rather we stand upon hope. And in standing upon hope, we begin to function and operate as the people of faith that God is so pleased by. And as we step into this season and we realize, now I see why you would bring peace into my life. Now I see why you would bring joy into my life. It's not just so that I can live an easier, cushier, softer life, but it's so that I can be on fire for you, filled with hope in every choice and every decision that I make. Fill me up with peace and fill me up with joy so that I might abound with hope in every single thing. I want to pray for that. And I want to trust and believe that God will do just that for us. So there where you stand, you're welcome to be in a mindset of agreement or uh, a simply 
uh, uh, state of receiving as we pray, trusting and believing God to touch our hearts and our minds together. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the season that we celebrate, that you have fulfilled your promise and sent our King. We look upon every image of him in the manger as a newborn infant brought into this world, born of a virgin, brought into the very location that you had ordained in Bethlehem. All of these prophetic fulfillments, we view them as a sign that you have brought peace onto earth and that you have released good news of great joy. And we ask now together in Jesus' name that this season would be a season of transformation for every man, woman, or child in this room, that peace and joy would begin to be received as the ingredients of hope, that we might be filled and washed over in abundance completely and totally lacking nothing with the peace that you brought in Jesus, with the joy that you brought in Jesus, so that we can abound in hope, in every choice, in every decision, in every action. We might be able to produce that substance which is faith and be pleasing to you in everything we do. Let us be a people of hope in all things. And let the result be faith-filled, And let that faith-filled result begin to tear down every work of Satan and begin to establish and continue to expand your kingdom with everything we do, with all that we say. Let us live and eat and sleep and breathe your kingdom and let us be the evangelists that you've called us to be in our everyday living. And let it be as peace and joy do their powerful work, establishing a people of hope. We bless your name, and we thank you for all that we celebrate in our King Jesus. Let our lives continue to bring you honor and glory, and let us be found pleasing to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and all the saints declare, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.